0: Uh, hello YouTube. Hello, Instagram Live. We started just a few minutes late um, because we were having a little issue with the audio. But welcome everyone to the
1: first ever. What do you call it? Supplemental. Feature? Yes. What this
0: is O T with D-A-S-S-O one. Did you like that?
1: Supplemental what?
0: Supplemental session 01.
1: Okay, that works so, for me.
0: So that's the uh, that's the nomenclature. OT with D-A-S-S-O-1. And uh, it's a little hard to see there on Instagram, but we're coming to you live from a giant pile of
1: books.
0: (laughs) Um, I'm only partially kidding by having this giant uh, pile of books. These are the books, actually, these top three are yours, Jen. These are the books that we're going to be talking about. So we should be able to cover this in about a half an hour, don't you think?
1: (laughs) No problem.
0: We can get through all of this. In 30 minutes. Easy.
1: Easy. Easy. Easy.
0: So welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're here. This is, as we've said, the first ever supplemental session for OT with DA. If you're just tuning in live and you're like, what is OT with DA? Jen, tell them. What is the OT part?
1: Okay. So David had this wonderful idea of starting a series of videos called da with a based on the book desire of ages and he did that how many sessions
0: 100 sessions
1: 100 sessions and uh, people wanted more always leave people wanting more yeah people wanted more and so he thought tossed some different ideas around and then decided that he wanted to do the old testament yep but there wasn't one book that he could work from for the old testament because there's two right right and so patriarchs
0: and prophets and prophets and and kings
1: so he calls it OT with D-A.
0: Because it sounds better than PP with D-A. Yeah,
1: PP. That doesn't, that no, doesn't work. It doesn't work. It
0: doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So welcome, everybody. this PK
1: with D-A had some Yeah, potential. that's fine. That's that fine. That would have been just, yeah.
0: Last night, we had Jen here present for uh, yeah. day six and chapter five. We'll be back again tonight. But one of the things, and I'll just tell you a little bit about why I'm deciding to do these supplemental sessions. When we did the D-A with D-A, some of the sessions got really long. Like two hours long. Jen, one of our sessions was almost two hours, like an hour and 50 minutes. It
1: was still your fault, though.
0: It was totally my fault. But one of the reasons for that is that there are chapters that that raise issues that you just feel like, hey, we need to provide some background here, some context here. You need a little more. And so what I'm trying to do, and mostly succeeding, is to keep the OT with DA sessions in and around an hour.
1: Did you have that idea... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, David, no, no, you did go Did you on. have the idea of doing the supplemental sessions before I told you that there was that one chapter I really wanted to talk no, about? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it played in perfectly. So yeah. then I was like, David, I really want to help you with OT with DA, but it's like yesterday's session. And he was like, can you fly out here? And within 15 minutes, he had bought me a ticket. with. Because that's miles. how I roll. But yeah, exactly. But, um, but I wasn't <laughs> going to be there on the right day. So then it was the supplemental. No,
0: I already had the idea because I knew yeah. issues like theodicy, yeah. Yeah. genocide, gender roles, ceremonial law. All the various, uh, you know, sort of hygienic laws. I knew that
1: yeah, tons of like yeah. tricky, tricky stuff.
0: problematic, mm-hmm. as you say, Old Testament mm-hmm. passages, and mm-hmm. it's outside of the scope of a devotional reading of the Old mm-hmm. Testament yeah. to be like, hey, let's do a deep dive on Galatia, uh you know, Genesis. 3- issue. Exactly, Genesis three sixteen. It's going like to polarize we'll be everyone
1: until they hate each other.
0: So I said, what we'll do is, is we'll have these supplemental sessions, as many as I can get. I've lined up Dr. Jennifer Jill Schwerzer. Yes. Um I've also got my good friend Dr. Sean Pittman All right. and then my other good friend Dr. John Peckham and uh, I'm so I'm
1: kind of transference going on Yeah there's something like going college on here degree thing Yeah oh. I like it okay
0: So anyway today we're going to be talking uh, about basically those early chapters there Genesis chapters 1 2 and 3 and we'll be talking about the marital relations gender roles we'll talk about the biblical view of marriage and of sexuality Mm-hmm. And especially, I think, with an emphasis on was there any change? And if there was a change, what was the nature of that change from the priest fall, Edenic, egalitarian picture that's presented to the post fall? And this is a question that a lot of people might be going, really, is this important? Yeah, it's, hugely it's hugely important. It's hugely
1: important. There's a lot going on. And
0: uh, this session, Jen, is going to be I was large dumb
1: enough to volunteer to talk. No,
0: you're going to do great. Mm-hmm. You're one of the smartest Chad people I know. Stewart is here. Hey, Chad, we love you. So Jen is going to be largely driving the, the bus here, but I'm along for the ride and I have a lot of sort of insights, insights. And, and opinions about yeah. this as well, perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, the, when, I, when I put up that big stack of books, I, I'm only half kidding. I mean, this book here is a book called there The I Flame Go. of Yahweh that we'll be talking about uh, today. I suppose you're going to reference it.
1: It's how many pages? It's like a thousand pages. Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit out of it. But it doubles as a weapon you can throw it at someone. Yeah, so
0: they, this is actually yeah. it's actually for a scholarly book. It's actually very, very readable. readable. He's
1: an excellent writer.
0: Uh Richard Davidson, mm-hmm. but it also is just a great book to have as a reference, because yes. basically, it's titled Flame of Yahweh, Sexuality in the Old Testament.
1: You can look up any topic you need more Anything on. that's even
0: tangentially and he'll related. he'll give
1: you all, not just the biblical data, but he'll give you all the schools of thought Correct. within theology on that issue, yeah. and then he'll weigh in at the end on what his yeah. views are.
0: Contrasting yeah. it with ancient Near Eastern perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's an excellent read. I it mean, is. it's an outstanding read. It's huge and it's a little intimidating, but think of it as a kind of sexual Old Testament sexual dictionary, it's really. A great
1: title, isn't it? A great title. Yeah.
0: Flame of Yahweh. And so it. literally any any passage in the Old Testament that's even tangentially related to sex is covered in it's this in book. There. That's why it's so big.
1: Which includes gender.
0: Which just tells you right out of the gate that the Bible has a lot to say about but human sexuality. sexuality.
1: Right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so
0: that's one of the books. Another book that I might reference a little bit later, there's two other books I might reference a little bit later, but certainly we'll be referencing Flame of Yahweh, and then we'll also be referencing Patriarchs and Prophets Prophets because this is the sort of foundation, this is our textbook for OT with DA, and probably a better way to say it is the Bible is our capital F foundation, That's right. but in terms of our day-to-day study, we've been reading through Patriarchs and Prophets, it's been our window into the Old Testament, so that's probably enough of introduction. Um, Jen... Would you like to pray or would you want me to pray? Go ahead. I'll pray and then we'll be off to the races. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad you're joining us for the first ever OT with D-A-S-S-O-1.
1: Adventist Cowboy's here.
0: Now we can begin. Exactly. The Adventist Cowboy is here. (laughs) We've literally been waiting for you. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, awesome to be here. We had that little hiccup, little glitch Mm -hmm. with the audio. Mm -hmm. But Father, you came through figured it out, and we give you praise. And thank you for Jim, Father, the way he's just helped us to get this whole studio set up, and the the videos look great, they sound great, and we just want to pray that you'll be with all the sort of technological things and technical things that are happening in this room. But Father, even more than that, we pray that you would be with us with your Spirit. Uh, Father, that the things we say would be in harmony with Scripture, and that we would be able to clearly identify where we're standing on a plane, thus saith the Lord, Mm -hmm. and then where we're offering our own perspective. And uh, Father, opinions are like noses. We all have one, but the opinion we care most about is your opinion. Mm -hmm. We want to better understand your will for male-female relations and for family relations and to pan out even further for community relations. Mm -hmm. And so bless us now as we spend time, give Jen and myself clarity, Give the listeners clarity, and we just ask that you'll send us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Amen. amen.
0: Okay, very Jen. Good.
1: Okay, so our core text today is Genesis 3.16, so get that in your Bible and look at it. Do you want me to read and it? It's very um, ironic. Yeah, I'm going to have you do all the reading because I know okay, how great. hard it is for you to assert yourself, so I want you to be able to say <laughs> something. So you're going to do the reading, and and it's interesting to me that it's a 3.16, so it's like kind of the opposite for women. Of the good news of John 3.16, because mm. it's the bad news of what happened to women as a result of the fall. Have
0: you noticed mm-hmm. that there are a lot of 3.16 3, like passages like that are, uh, like First John 3.16 is extremely important. Malachi 3.16 is very important. Amazing. Hebrews 3.16 is very important. that. There, for, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 it's is very amazing, important. It's amazing,
1: especially given the fact that the chapter divisions are not in Yeah, subjects, they're totally so
0: like sort of added, random. you know, they're ancillary added yeah. later. But yeah. it is interesting yeah. that that 3.16 thing
1: yeah. is crucial. Yeah, yeah. Well, and Genesis 3.16. So you can always remember where this particular passage is. And one thing I want to say to just prep for this is we're going to look at a lot of data in Scripture about gender roles, about particularly gender roles within marriage, and in particular about women. Uh, women. So the title of my talk is. Taking my
0: shoes off. <laughs> it,
1: we're in, it's snowy here, so it's very can, snowy, yeah. and my feet are getting hot. Sorry, it's, yeah,
0: got these heavy things on. Yeah, that's not going to. work. I
1: almost wore those on the way over here, but Violetta told me they were. Yours. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt you. My feet so were beginning ta- to sweat, yeah. and it was distracting me. So the title of the talk is, or our, our conversation today is, the tragedies and triumphs of womankind, and so. We're going to get in right into the core of the tragedies and triumphs of womankind, or particularly the tragedies in Genesis 3.16. But then we're going to look at some other data in Scripture, particularly the New Testament, that seems to echo what we're going to read in Genesis 3.16. And what I want to say about that is that Genesis, like Genesis, the first four chapters of Genesis, are kind of an interpretive key to the rest of Scripture. And so I'm using this as kind of our grounding and then the lens through which we interpret the others.
0: Yeah, so, I've mentioned that okay, already in the OT with DA, okay. and and the importance of that cannot be overstated. Yeah, that Genesis chapters one, two, and three are paradigmatic.
1: Yeah, it,
0: it, they're tone-setting chapters. They I've are. used the language of lenses,
1: and it's interesting too that they are uh, those those texts appear in the context of a story. Correct. And so it gives us the backstory of why that Correct. text was was articulated, and then you have the other ones that aren't so necessarily contexted within a story. So, so just
0: a word on that. Yeah. If we find ourselves later in the Old Testament, or if we find ourselves in the New Testament, yeah. interpreting some passage or some story or narrative in a way that is radically out of harmony That's with Genesis right. 1, 2, and 3,
1: we got a problem. that
0: means you're almost certainly off
1: We've got off a, course. a foundational problem. There's right, a crack so in the foundation.
0: So when I use the language of lenses, if Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are our lenses, they are corrective lenses, okay. not just lenses generally. Yeah. They help us to see. Okay. And I'll say one more thing, Jen, and I'm no, going to be leaning no. heavily on you. <laughs>
1: Talk the, the, whole the, time the, time the
0: story me. that Scripture is telling is an Eden to Eden story. That's right. Right? It, God we God. open up in Genesis 1 and 2 in a garden, in open, face-to-face beautiful, loving communion with God. And that's how the Bible ends in Revelation 21 and 22. And I know this is going to be a big feature of what you're going to talk about today, Jen, that that despite the curses, despite the falls, we are heading on a trajectory back to Eden. That's right. You're cool with that?
1: I am so cool. I couldn't be cooler with that. I want to mention, too, that I have most of this study put in a book called Damsel Arise. It was a sharing book, I think, back in 2019. Okay. It costs like $2 if you want to get a copy. Um, It's a great book. Reach out to me online, and I'll make sure you get one. It's a great book. So, um, And it's a very devotional book, so it's not like boring and theological, or what would be boring to some people. So go ahead and read the core text, David, and we'll move from there. I'm going to
0: read it in two translations just to see if there's a difference. I don't know if there is because I haven't looked at it, but... I'll start in uh, the New International Version. Okay. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, this is God speaking to the serpent, and then he turns his attention to Adam and Eve and says... This is
1: just, I've excised um, what he says to Eve from the other two. Gotcha. Yeah.
0: Um, to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, okay? And then New King James Version, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So very similar. Very similar.
1: That was King James.
0: Second was New King James and the first was New International. All
1: right, so what we're gonna do is not go into that text, uh, the deep dive into that text just yet. We're gonna talk about some New Testament echoes of the same ideas we see presented in that text. So okay. let's look first at what I might call the submission passages, okay? And again, we're focusing on womankind. What happened to women as a result of the fall? Okay. So the submission passages, and isn't that a hot button topic? Yeah. You know, wifely submission and women mm-hmm. submitting to men and all of this patriarchy and all these things are really hot button topics, particularly just now. Go ahead and read Ephesians chapter five and verse 22. And again, I am excising these from their larger context because we're not exegeting any one passage here except maybe Genesis 3.16, but we just want to hear the echoes of Genesis 3.16 in the New Testament. So we're going to circle
0: back to 3.16. We're
1: going to go back to 3.16, that's correct. Okay,
0: so I'm in Ephesians 5. What would you like me to read?
1: 5.22.
0: Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord.
1: Does it go on?
0: For the husband is the head of wife, this is verse 23, okay. as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, tell me when to yeah. stop. Husbands, oh, love your it. wives. Okay.
1: Okay. So what people have said is that the previous verse or what people have pointed out is the previous verse, which is talking about believers' relationships with each other, says that we should submit to one another. Yeah. And so ostensibly in a marriage, there's yielding that's coming from both sides, right?
0: You're talking about verse 21, yeah, which, which says, says submitting to one another in the fear of God. So there's the idea of mutual submission. Yeah. And then he sort of yeah. hones in on um, the submission. Women submitting to their husbands. To so,
1: so I read recently that what the passage actually says is, you know, submit to one another and then wives to husbands and husbands love your wives. So it doesn't make a special point of wives submitting, doesn't use the word submit again and I was incredulous about that, but I actually did a little study this morning and I found out it's true. However, so so the word submit isn't there in verse 22. Gotcha. So it just says wives to your husband, you know, submit to each other, wives to your husbands, and husbands make sure you love your wives. So it's sort of a general submission. Okay. And some people are interpreting that to mean that it's not really about wives submitting to their husbands. The problem with that though, is to, to draw that conclusion from Ephesians 5.22, is Colossians 3:18. Go ahead and read Colossians 3:18.
0: Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 says, Right. Wives submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be bitter toward them.
1: Yeah, that's deep, isn't that's it? That's fascinating. So, it's a qualified submission. You can see that in Colossians 3:18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, so that's a qualification. Yeah. It isn't a general thing, and we're going to be touching on that a little bit later, but I want you to go to 1 Peter Chapter 3 and verse 1.
0: First Peter chapter 3. You're really three.
1: good at getting to things fast. Well, now
0: you're saying that and I'm making a mess of <laughs> it. Uh 1 Peter chapter just 3. Just remember.
1: General electric power Company. Yeah, Galatians, it. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always nope.
0: re- I yeah. remember that a different way, but I just yeah. don't remember how it is that no, I remember okay. it. I've forgotten my mnemonic device, exactly. so there's an irony. Uh what did you say? First Peter three, one. Wives like wives, l- wives likewise. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by reverence.
1: Okay, now read Titus chapter 2 and verse 5.
0: Titus 2, 5. And this is
1: speaking to uh, women and telling them to train young women in a certain way. So go ahead.
0: Okay, so train them to, and here's the beginning of the verse, be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed.
1: Yeah. So that's four verses that indicate kind of the same concept. And, you know, there we are. Okay. There's a
0: tremendous consistency in those verses. There
1: is. So let's look at uh, a little different language, similar concept. Let's look at a category of texts you might call love and respect texts. Okay. okay. Let's look at Ephesians and by the way, I don't claim to have all the data on all of these issues necessarily lined up, but I've got a good sampling here. Okay. The majority of the text. So love and respect. I'm text. back in Ephesians five. Ephesians five twenty five.
0: This is one of my favorite. Ephesians five is one of my favorite it's chapters great. in the whole it's Bible. It's amazing.
1: It's amazing. It's
0: great. Yes. So five twenty five. Yeah. Husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay. Can I say something about that? Sure. That phrase, gave himself, is an extremely important Pauline phrase. Okay, He uses that phrase in many of the most crucial, sort of pivotal passages in Pauline theology, probably best known would be Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, right? right? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, nevertheless I live, yet not I, I but, but Christ, Christ lives, lives in me. me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God God who loved me and gave himself for for me. And Paul uses in both of these, listen again. It's
1: a cross metaphor.
0: He uses love and gave himself as grammatical equivalents. Listen again. Mm -hmm. Husbands, love your wives Mm -hmm. just as Christ also loved the church and Mm -hmm. gave himself. Amen. So so literally for Paul... So
1: the distinguishing factor of true love is self-sacrifice.
0: Exactly. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. For Paul, yeah, that's God. what love is. That's love seeks not its own. 1 Corinthians 13. And if you
1: think about it, what distinguishes God's love from human love? I mean, human beings love. We Correct. love with romantic love. We love with friendship. Correct. What is the distinguishing factor of agape?
0: So it's that it's self-sacrificial. it's, that it's self-giving. And right. then in
1: a sin context, self-giving becomes self-sacrificing. Mm. Because it requires yes. something of the individual. Well,
0: I love that. Yeah, I yeah. love, love, love that. You yeah. just said yeah. that love pre-sin is self-giving. It's giving,
1: it's service to others, but it Love
0: per sin is so giving that it becomes self-sacrificial. Sacrificing
1: because there's pain involved. You're warring against your carnal nature. You're Ooh. also warring against a world that is pitted against the principle of love. And so there's going to be a price Ooh, that, that like didn't this pre-fall. Yeah, exactly. That so, is so incredible. Well, and this makes... A sermon about it? I,
0: I love you? that because it makes so much sense out of what Jesus says. Greater love has no, no one than this. Lay down good. your life. Yeah. Not just to do generous deeds, but if you take that, if you extrapolate that to its And to end, just
1: make it a simple serving other people and being nice to people, Mr. Rogers style, which is a great thing, don't get me wrong, but to make it that in a sin context is to be extremely naive about the effect of sin.
0: Correct. Yeah. And we've talked about that yeah. already. Okay, great. Okay, so, what else am um, I reading? So
1: try Ephesians 5... 33.
0: So I'm saying in Ephesians 5, verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
1: Okay. So that is where we get the idea of respect, wives uh, respecting their husbands that form the basis of like, for instance, the book Love and Respect respect. by Egerich. Uh, There's lots, I found there's lots of data on husbands loving their wives, not as much about wives respecting or not as much of Using the word respect mm. toward the husband, but it's there. Okay, now try going to Colosh, uh Sorry, Colossians three nineteen.
0: Okay, so we just read three eighteen. No, you yeah. I, earlier yeah. we read Colossians. I yeah. might have already read this verse actually. Yeah, three nineteen. Husbands, yeah, love your wives and do bitter. not be bitter, bitter toward them. them.
1: Yeah. So there's uh, both of those uh, ideas are presented in those passages of husbands loving and then wives respecting. Okay, what about the headship? passages. Okay. Okay, let's look at 1 Timothy 2, verse
0: 12. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 reads, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was, you want me to keep going? For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control.
1: So we could spend all year on this and millions of dollars flying people all around to debate <laughs> it, which happened recently yeah. in our church's history. But at any rate, it is presenting the idea of a headship configuration between men and women. But I think if you look into the language, it could very ostensibly up, um, apply to husbands and wives. And that very might accurately. Be yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So 1 Corinthians 1434.
0: So 1 Corinthians So we're just kind of surveying the biblical material here. Okay, 1334? 1434, correct.
1: 1434,
0: sorry. Um, 1434, this is right at the end of the tongues chapter, and it says, let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church.
1: So there's uh, that alludes to the whole concept of headship and you know that kind of hierarchical relationship between men and women, and some people argue between husband and wife. Okay, so just a few points regarding all of those. Okay, so that's our survey. That's our survey. Okay. okay so a few points. Um, by the way, the word generally used for submission is hypotaso, okay. which basically means to place under something. Okay. You know, to get under something in humility, we would you know assume. Um, not once do we find any kind of data that says, husbands, make your wives obey, the admi- or make your wives submit. The admonition to submit is always directed okay. at the that's woman. That's a great point. So it's what I would call a vertical access command. It's between the individual and their God. It's not between the individual that that person acts a certain way toward. They don't have oh, to force them insight. or pressure them. Or, and, and the other thing is they're not responsible for making this happen. The Hmm. husband is not responsible for making his wife submit. God, I don't know of a verse in scripture that says that.
0: Well, that would be to truncate human freedom. I mean, apart from...
1: Create a power dynamic in the relationship that would be very harmful to it.
0: And I was going to say, apart from a parent with young children, I don't know of any human relation where ontologically God says, Tell Make that person do what they Should uh, do. otherwise don't it's want a to very, do.
1: It's a parent-child configuration. So your
0: point here is, is yeah. that it's not saying, husbands, make sure your wives submit. Submits. It's saying, wives, submit to your husbands.
1: submits from your own access of moral decision-making and and agency. So this is
0: God largely speaking to To women women, about their posture toward their husbands. It's not God speaking to husbands, hey, make sure you bring about, you know, forcefully or through, you know, through some artifice, this behavior in your life. I mean, a man may want
1: to take moral accountability and say, am I doing anything in the marriage that's making this impossible for this woman, making her less capable even of submitting to me in sincerity so you could take that inventory, but this isn't saying you're directly responsible. Correct,
0: that's a great one. And that's
1: important because what happens is, men who think that they're responsible to make their wives submit will become ogres in the family. Of course. And I've seen it, I, I, I know of cases of oh. this and yeah.
0: Can I say something about yeah. that? Just yesterday when we, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Just yesterday when we were in the Cain and Abel chapter, did yeah. anybody else pick this up? That one of the reasons One of the reasons that Cain slew Abel, in fact, maybe the chiefest reason, was that Abel would not submit to Cain's control. Listen to this. Listen to this. So I'm on page 87. This is 78 of the original. And it's the paragraph that begins, the murder of Abel was the example of enmity. So I'm going to just jump down about midway through that. Listen to this. When Cain, moved by the spirit of the wicked one, saw that he could not control Abel, he was so enraged that he destroyed his life. Okay, now listen, she says it again. Just yeah. a little bit later. Yeah. I'll skip a couple yeah. sentences. But the cruelties heaped upon the followers of Jesus are instigated by Satan and his host because they cannot force him to submit to good. their control. Mm. So this is such a great point. That's you great. say that when we put the onus on husbands, or Te- not we when when husbands take you incorrectly the onus up. upon themselves you to control set them up their wives,
1: for a pain-like treatment of the wife.
0: literally, yeah.
1: Persecutory.
0: All control actions. of other people yeah. is by nature yeah. persecutorial. That's right. It's murderous, even.
1: And, and we're going to get into Woo! why that is so. But you just basically rob or attempt to rob a person of their agency in that process. Okay, yes. Yeah, so to do
0: what not even God would do—take right, away agency.
1: Right. Yeah, He doesn't even do it. I mean, Eve reaches away. out to
0: take the tr- the apple, and He
1: lets her take it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. okay.
0: So, Keep going. Um, I love that point that um, the command is to women, not to husbands. Right. To bring about some outcome or That's behavior. Right. That's it's great a vertical
1: point. access command. Okay. Love it. So the submission passages, um, as well as Genesis 3.16, occur within the context of a marriage to a husband, not all men to all women. Correct. Is it, to, your is husband, to your own husband, to your own husband, to your own husband. As we've sorted out, even as a denomination, the role of women in the church, we have found that some people actually believe that that it's there's something innately wrong with a woman directing any kind of project, particularly if it's a religious project, right. over a man. And that that's just, I don't think that that's what the texts bear out. No. But it's... I uh, mean,
0: especially the ones that we read in Colossians and in Ephesians yeah. and the Titus, uh, was it the Titus text, it, and the Peter text, it's all very clear, to your own husbands. It's that's not right. a general submission of femininity yeah. to masculinity. Yeah, that's right. It's the relationship, the very intimate, paradigmatic, yeah. Edenic relationship, which we'll come back to, between one man and one, one woman. One woman, that's right. Like, you, you are in no sense. It's in sense, the
1: context of a covenantal relationship. I yeah, don't have exactly. to submit to God, some guy. You but, don't have to. I was it, just going to say, you're based, in no
0: sense submitting to me.
1: It's all based on sacrifice. Like, uh, you know, we assume that a husband makes sacrifices Allah, Ephesians 5 to his wife. And in that context, God encourages that woman to trust that man in an act hmm. of submission. Um, but some strange guy, you know, just because he happens to be a pastor, shows up on the scene, gets hired by the church, and I have to submit to that person? No. That's, that's sick is what that is.
0: Well, and not even because just the pastor. there's no just history, any... there's
1: no sacrifice, there's no yeah. personal investment involved. Correct. You know, there's a biblical principle that God asks us to honor who has sacrificed. He asks us to trust and honor based on sacrifice. So that's the principle that's behind the command for, to honor parents. It's assumed that the parents have sacrificed for the children. Now, there are parents that don't deserve the right. label parent, and so they're not a parent in the true sense of the term. Right. But, but you assume that there's at least some sacrifice involved on the part of that parent for the child because they put their peanut butter and jelly sandwich in front of them. And they put a line. little heart in that the words, peanut ups, butter. They did something for that they kid. They cut the crust they off at in my kept case. least that kid alive. There was some sacrifice and on the basis of that. Investment made that sacrifice. You trust that person. So that's a biblical principle that where there is sacrifice, there is grounds for trust and even submission. But without Beautiful. that sacrifice, you don't have that. Great so this is why all women submitting to all men is just—it's not just wrong; it's evil. It's evil, and it sets up and it's persecutorial. It the church for a, just rampant abuse. Correct. Pastor comes along, and he gets to you know commandeer his way through the church and all of the constituents, and he ends up in unwholesome relationships, and they submit to him because of who he is. The Bible doesn't teach that. It it doesn't
0: teach that. And it's frankly a misunderstanding of the nature of leadership. That's right. The leadership that we should be seeing in pastors is not an authoritarian leadership. It's not a top-down leadership. What's the leadership that is modeled for us in Jesus? When nobody else, for example, wanted to wash the feet, what does Jesus do? He takes the subservient role. He takes the menial task. And so this this isn't just, here's my point, this isn't just based on a misunderstanding of some of these Headship passages or passages about the relationship it's a between man and understanding
1: of the entirety of scripture. The whole of scripture and the and whole, the whole of leadership of and the character of God. Of love eliciting obedience. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you.
0: In fact, when we come back to the Genesis passage, we're going to find that that he shall rule over you. That that is that's a very interesting phrase, and there's sort of a semantic oh, room. You
1: have something planned for Yeah, I got something. I <laughs> know, anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Well, you know this idea that all women should submit to all men and there is therefore a wrong for a woman to lead a man in any context well, for one thing it's not biblical right deborah hello but um it's kind of common i, I remember uh, the first time i encountered it i was giving a health lecture to a group of christians and yeah. they were really excited about learning about plant-based eating and so i was re- you know doing all this health lecturing and um and i at the time i had posters this was a while ago and i held up a poster with a Bible verse on it, and the men got up and walked out of the room. And I didn't know what was going on, because my church isn't generally like that. There may be pockets, you know, right, but right, right, right. I had never encountered that in my church before. And, and the men got up and walked out of the room, and I didn't know what was going on. So I was like, what did I offend them? And... Um, They didn't like like, your. They didn't like your hummus recipe. No, you are reading the Bible, and they can't be in the same room with a woman teaching scripture. So you
0: could teach them about healthful living and how to make yummy hummus, but uh, as soon as you pull out a John three sixteen, as soon as a Bible text, no, no, I don't want any good news from anybody who doesn't have the correct chromosomal chromosomal makeup configuration.
1: Yeah. Okay, gotcha. That's
0: nothing arbitrary about
1: that. What would they have done with Mary and the the women that were at the two You know they. Well, that's the men weren't listening. Well, what, about Anna the the,
0: what about Anna the prophetess when Jesus He's, is dedicated? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I'm anyway, keep go going, on. keep going.
1: All right, so one more point is that these passages have been abused Correct. by toxic patriarchy. So we want to just go on record saying we completely reject what we're calling toxic patriarchy. Of course, it's not all patriarchy because the book we're working off of is patriarchy. patriarchy.
0: It's actually it's, funny that you would say yeah. that because when I... I have a number of people that follow me from my, you know, previous non-Christian life, and yeah. just people that are not, you know, members of the, a strong Christian community, but maybe the climbing community or whatever. And I always, whenever I post something on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, I always think, how does this sound to them? And I'm, yeah, yeah we're going to be reading this book, patriarchs, patriarchs and, and prophets. prophets, and I just know because. The word patriarchy gets so much bad press today, it it's you know, a trigger smash warning. the patriarchy, say, get rid of the patriarchy. Trigger
1: warning, patriarchs and prophets. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but you know what? To be totally honest, I'm a big believer in...
1: Let's recover. Let's I recapture. Re-
0: recapture, reclaim. Reclaim biblical language. language that belongs to Amen. God. Amen. And so I refuse to yield semantic Good. ground unless it's absolutely necessary. Because,
1: you know, whoever owns the language owns the argument. Do you Correct. know that? Because a lot of what is happening today, you know, in dialogues about different principles is just changing the language and limiting the amount of language you can, you can't say that anymore because it's offensive.
0: Well, to use a, to use a, and I don't want to, I'm not, well, I don't want to upset anybody, but I'm going to say this anyway, at the risk of upsetting somebody, one good example of this has been that over the last few years, and especially it's been intensified since the COVID pandemic, the the term anti-vaxxer is now broadly applied to people who oppose, for example, vaccine mandates. And I count myself among that that population. But you can just see what happens there. So so now when we claim the language, anti-vaxxer, well, I just feel like that's just such a- What does that mean? Unfair and incorrect way to characterize my position. I recognize that historically vaccines have done a great deal of good, But I don't think that all vaccines should necessarily be mandated Mandated. for all people in all situations. And now suddenly I'm an anti-vaxxer.
1: You and you're not just because you oppose a certain political correct.
0: Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Mm -hmm. People do not like nuance, and increasingly in this tribalistic, pluralist, uh, tribalistic, polarized age,
1: everybody in a black and white mode. Yeah,
0: you're this or you're this.
1: And you know, it's interesting. You're this or you're this. It's interesting, David, because trauma causes people to have black and white thinking. And so my thinking okay, is, do not care, well trauma like think about it you're, you're attacked or assaulted by something and it overwhelms your nervous system that's the nature of trauma it's more than you can manage with your normal coping resources and so your nervous system gets overloaded and there's d- literal damage to the actual biology of your nervous system as a result of trauma that's what it is and so what happens to people is they're so worried about this thing that just happened they mm. start scanning the rise and they go into survival mode to try to ward off any future assaults and they just kind of live in that mode until they can get treatment and get help and process the trauma. So what's happening with social media is it's sustaining people in an ongoing state of trauma, kind of forcing them to think in black and white so that nuanced thinking becomes, if not distasteful to them, even impossible.
0: Almost like a wound that you just keep picking. You refuse to let it heal and social media is, by its very nature, sort of Augment uh, uh, is well, actually
1: think about all media because they're competing for your attention, and so it has to grab your emotional brain. It has to grab your limbic system, your yeah, amygdala, yeah. if it's going to get your attention. So there are certain messages that grab your limbic system because the limbic system moves fast uh, faster than the cerebral cortex. Right. The cerebral cortex, the thinking part of the brain. Ones is like reflexive. What's careful? Uh, what's capable of careful, nuanced thinking? But the limbic system immediately engages. Right. So you, if you want to compete. With the number of people that are vying for people's attention, you have to give a lot of limbic brain messages. And I yeah. do this to some degree in my posts. I try not to make things too heady because mm. I know it's just going to escape people. But but think about it. You know, If you are really bent on being popular with social media and getting yeah. a lot of likes, you're going to put a lot of dramatic stuff out there. And you're going to be sorely tempted if the end justifies the means yeah, to start fabricating and fitting the, the facts to the narrative instead of the narrative to the facts. We've talked about that. Well,
0: wow, that's great. Yeah. Good insight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, right, so, we got yeah. on that because we were talking about the word patriarchy. Yeah, and how and it's And you a were talking work. about it's a trigger. T- you me. used a phrase toxic
1: masculinity or toxic, toxic patriarchy. patriarchy. Yeah. All right, so one more point is that, yeah, these passages have been abused by what we would call, even what we would call toxic patriarchy. Um, and women have been abused by husbands and churches using these texts as clobber texts. In other words, using them as a way of controlling human behavior without their gospel heart and context and using them rested out of the immediate context mm. within the chapter. And that's what a clobber text is. And so this has happened. I was just, I have actually in the book that we're working on a little story where a woman- What do you mean by straight. a book we're working on? We're working on a book.
0: Are we writing a book together? Well,
1: I'm writing it. We haven't <laughs> really started yet. I have started. He, he's going to write all six of his chapters in two weeks because that's how he rolls. That's right. And if he has to stay up but all Jen, night, you don't I have don't have to care. you
0: don't have to air my dirty laundry <laughs> in front of everybody. The point is I just gave you, I set you up there to tell people about what's happening. Yeah, what are we we're doing? We're writing
1: a book called uh, Try This at Home, and it's a book on marriage. And um, it's going to be not just a book, but a workshop. Amen. Uh, it's going to start out with a real strong uh, spiritual emphasis that Pastor Ashik. Rick is going to be uh, writing in two weeks, staying up all night. And then it's going to have a very practical component where we're going to have a lot of worksheets and a lot of exercises and a lot of inventories yep. and things so that people are really engaged. And then we're going to have like weekend rallies, but then extended workshops to really help marriages. Because and it's going to be
0: very database.
1: Very database. And we're super,
0: both of us biblical. are super passionate about helping marriages. That's why the title of the book is going to be Try This at Try Home. Try This at Home. Because... We what people need is not just theory and, mm-hmm. and sort of abstractions. People need hey, what works? Yeah,
1: what actually is going to make a difference.
0: What works. Yeah, and it's yeah. there's also a kind of an inbuilt humility like mm-hmm. it's we're not saying prescriptively we know every you marriage know exactly and every situation. We can fi- I read a marriage book years ago that I won't name right now. And it was amazing. The guy that wrote the book could solve every, every single, single marriage system. problem that came to him. And he did
1: that by overdefining what people were actually struggling with. Well, you know
0: with. the book I'm talking about. But but my point is, it? oh, I thought you were just oh, referencing it. Okay. But my point is, there's, well, a, there's put, an inbuilt humility to the title, which is, this has worked for Jen. This has worked yes. for me. Yeah. Jen has a gigantic counseling practice. Yeah. I've uh, been involved in a lot of marriages and pre-marriage counseling and post-marriage counseling. So we're, to, hey, try this at home.
1: See what you yeah, think. Yeah. So pet peeve on that issue of simplif- oversimplifying problems so that you can seem to have everybody uh, at your command. The idea that the problem in marriages is, is the differences between men and women is not, not something true. I buy into. That's if, not true. If anything, it's the differences that help the marriage work. Agree. And And yeah, you have to address the differences because they're there. But that is not the bulk of what's wrong with marriages. So just to let you know, that's not where we're going with this particular book. Okay. Okay. So women have been abused by husbands and churches using these texts as clobber texts. And just one quick story. Australia, man marries a woman. She's quite a bit younger than he is. And he begins to beat her. She goes to her. You've heard stories like this. She goes to her pastor. Her church leaders say, go home and submit to your husband. He killed her. He stabbed her to death. It happens, you know, so we want to be as far away from that kind of thing as possible. And so, and what, so that, what's
0: even more painful about that is that that is being done in the name of the religion of Jesus. Of it, being faithful to It makes to scripture. the blood to boil. It
1: does make it the blood to boil. Yeah. Okay. So in interest, in the interest of, you know, parting ways with that kind of thinking, I want David to read a number of passages okay. from the from the spirit, from the pen of inspiration, Ellen White, a woman I believe had a gift for having a deep understanding of biblical data and how just how life worked. And she talked quite extensively, and this is back in the 1800s, mm-hmm. about the relationship between men and women in the home. So let's see what she said. Okay. I just want you to read each and every one of them. So I'm just
0: going to read and them. And by the
1: way, these are all found in the book Adventist Home in a section called What Kind of Husband? Not to be.
0: Ooh, okay, yeah. here we go. The Lord Jesus has not been correctly represented in his relation to the church by many husbands in their relation to their wives, for they do not keep the way of the Lord. They declare that their wives must be subject to them in everything. But it was not the design of God that the husband should have control as head of the house when he himself does not submit to Christ. He must be under the rule of Christ that he may represent the relation of Christ to the church. If he is a coarse, rough, boisterous, egotistical, harsh, and overbearing man, let him never utter the word that the husband is the head of the wife and that she must submit to him in everything. For he is not the Lord. He is not the husband in the true true significance of the term. That is so So extremely well said. and I love what she says. If he's coarse, rough, boisterous, boisterous egotistical, egotistical, harsh, hard, overbearing, overbearing, she says, don't even let him, don't even say, don't it. even take that text into your mouth. That's Shame right. on you.
1: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And he, she even says he's not even the husband in the, in the sense In of the, the term. Sense,
0: because the word husband is house band. Yeah.
1: Someone that draws that, together.
0: That Amen. draws and pulls the house yeah. together, that bands yeah. the house together. Well, that's,
1: Amen.
0: you don't. Pull people together
1: by, controlling by being them.
0: coarse, rough, boisterous, egotistical, That's harsh, right. and overbearing. That's
1: right. You you push. I mean, them away. just
0: ask yourself this yeah. question: Do any of those words fairly describe Jesus?
1: Not even coarse,
0: no. Rough, no, no. no. Boisterous, no. Egotistical, no. Harsh, no. Overbearing, no. The
1: opposite of all those. So you
0: things. don't get to come marching in with Bible text in hand and start quoting verses when
1: you're out of harmony with the very character of, of
0: the God that inspired, inspired the text. Scripture. Come on now. Am I reading the next one? Yeah. Instead of respecting the feelings of your wife and kindly avoiding, as a gentleman would, those subjects upon which you know you differ, you have been forward to dwell upon objectionable points and have manifested a persistency in expressing your views regardless of any around you. You have felt that others had no right to see matters differently from yourself. These fruits do not grow upon the Christian tree.
1: And I like that because it does say that there are some things you just don't talk about with your spouse. And it's to well, that's be okay. a good point. Yeah, you just just don't bring it up if it's if it's a problematic
0: issue. That's a, that that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, if the will of God is fulfilled, the husband and wife will respect each other and cultivate love and confidence. Mm, amen. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Next one. The exacting husband may condescend to take the worrying child from the weary arms of its mother that her arrangements for the family meal may be hastened.
1: So she's saying an exacting husband may take the child for a minute. Gotcha. Listen to what he does.
0: But if the child is restless and frets in the arms of its father, he will seldom feel it is his duty to act the nurse and seek to quiet and soothe the child. He does not pause to consider how many hours the mother has endured, the little one's fretfulness, but calls out impatiently, Here, mother, take Take your your child." child. Is it not... His child as well as hers? Hello. Is he not under a natural obligation to patiently bear his part of the burden of rearing his children? How do
1: you feel reading that? Were you? I
0: absolutely really love it. that.
1: Did you take care of the boys when they were Of course.
0: Okay. Okay. Did
1: you change
0: uh, diapers? Of course I changed okay. diapers. Now, I will say this. My
1: father never changed diapers. He would not.
0: He just wouldn't do it. He
1: loved my little girls and yeah. he wanted to hang out with them, but we couldn't go off on a shopping trip and leave the kids with him because if they poop their pants, he just
0: wouldn't them. do it. Okay. I do want to say something about that. My wife is, my wife Violetta is a dear friend of Jen's and, and she's one of the most amazing people in the world. And she is, I like to say, the baby whisperer. Uh-huh. I have literally been in situations where family members, not the mother, but family members of a child that Violetta is not related to, cannot calm or soothe the child, including yeah. mothers, Yeah, right? Like an aunt wow. or a grandmother. And Violetta has this ability and I've seen it literally right. dozens of times. She picks these crying children up and they just submit to her. I mean, I feel the same way when she picks me up. I'm just like, oh yeah, whatever you want me to do, sweetie. But the point is, is that when the boys would be crying quite a little bit, I would do my best. And this was kind of a little joke in our home. My wife, she's watching this, she'll laugh about this. I would take the boy. I have the opposite effect on children. You can ask friends. I'll go visit, you know, people that have just had babies You're in the so hospital. Upsetting. And they'll say, Do you want to hold the baby? And I'll say, sure, but sure. I will make this baby At your cry. Own risk. And I pick up the baby, and it's like three, two, one.
1: Ah!
0: But, and then I would say to Violetta, Well, the reason for this is is that my body is like chiseled granite. Oh, it's like steel. I'm just so rippling with muscle. Oh,
1: stop. stop.
0: <laughs> and Violetta, you're so soft. Talk about a, And she would just roll her eyes at me. Talk, and, a,
1: talk about a narcissistic reframing. Well, it, it,
0: I, I actually didn't think it. Well, I mean, I'm not rippling with I mean, I do have a few muscles from rock climbing, but. The point is, is that I didn't feel like I
1: You just didn't I just have... didn't
0: do as soon as those boys here's the here's my point. Don't hear yeah. me out. As soon as those boys but hit did two you say years old.
1: take your child? Of
0: course not. Yeah. I did my best. But as soon as those boys hit two years old, we were out the, were door, out the door into all kinds of trouble. So yes. And
1: that's how it is. It's that usually the first two to three years a child is kind of the mother's. And then right. once they're three and they're talking and walking, they go off with daddy.
0: So yeah. can I say something about that, Jen? In addition to us writing a book on marriage. We want to write a series of books, including one on...
1: Dating. Dating
0: and parenting. parenting. And uh, so we'll talk about how to be a great parent. Not that we've got it all figured out, but we've learned a few things. A few. Okay, want me to keep reading? It's been good.
1: Okay, so right there.
0: Now, I have to ask ask you a question. When you asked me if I changed diapers and if I was this kind of a husband, woman, take your child, you didn't think that about me, did you? Did you think I would be that way? No. No, okay. No. Good, because the way you ask, I suddenly got... I was like, <laughs> I have to tell you a really funny thing. Whenever I give one of these live presentations or I preach, Violetta will often say, David, you, you didn't you didn't say that story like it actually was, or you exaggerated um, that part, or you got that. Women so,
1: have better factual memory.
0: I literally go to Violetta after these, and I say, Violetta, what did I say, say wrong? Yeah. It's and in fact, the last few, I've been so pleased.
1: Women have better factual memory. Men have better concept memory. So well, men will get to the point and be able to, you know, kind of, but women tend to be able to remember the details. The details, and that's why you're at a party and you're. telling
0: Violetta, a story. do not listen to this. I hope you're not paying. No, it.
1: why is it No. <laughs> just
0: because <laughs> she's always like? It you're was three. It was, to three. it was three, and I'll say no. I think it was four. It was three, as I think it was four, and then sure enough, and then you it, find the receipt. It was three. It, it was three. three. Uh, here we go. Your life would be much happier if you did not feel that absolute authority is vested in you because you are a husband and father. Your practice shows that you misinterpret your position. House band, what you need is more, far more of love, forbearance, and less of a determination to have your way, both in word and in deed. In the course you are now pursuing, instead of being a house band, you will be as a vice to compress and distress isn't others. Isn't
1: that vivid language? Isn't that great? You know my <sighs> favorite part about that you know what one. Vices. Did dad sh- have a vice growing up? No, you put my like dad was wood in there, and you crank oh, yeah, thing, gotcha. and it squeezes it. You just can't, you can't help but think, what if my head got in there, you know? But that's what happens.
0: My favorite part about that particular Mm -hmm. uh, statement is where she says, she's writing to the husband, to the father, and she says, your life would be much happier.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. So you wouldn't be so miserable. Right. Yeah. Because
0: (laughs) the, the, the desire to control and the desire to always have your way in a coarse, boisterous, overbearing way does not produce internal
1: happiness. That's right. You're setting yourself up for constant frustration and disappointment.
0: Disappointment in other people.
1: That's right. That's
0: and right. then you try to overcorrect. Yeah, that's a that's great right. point. That's right. I love but if that. you can
1: just turn it back to yourself and say, what can I do in the context that I find myself in? Then you're not setting yourself up for frustration because you actually have control of that. God created okay. us for power. And when we try to control other people, we're constantly frustrating that inbuilt drive mm. toward having you know have dominion god created us for power but there are certain things that are our dominion and certain things that are not. not and when we try to exercise dominion over the things that are not our dominion we end up constantly frustrated and it frustrates that inbuilt desire for for power and dominion great so line. there's a good application of course of that desire to be in control start with yourself beautiful Amen. yeah
0: okay uh you dictate and assume authority this displeases heaven and grieves the pitying angels. Mm-hmm. You have conducted yourself and your family as though you alone were capable of self-government. Mm-hmm. It has offended you that your wife should venture to oppose your opinion or question your decisions. not that
1: crazy? Keep going.
0: Brother B should soften. He should cultivate refinement and courtesy. Mm-hmm. He should be very tender and gentle toward his wife who is his equal in every respect.
1: Listen to that language. He
0: should not utter a word. This is that not would,
1: headship theology, guys. No, this it is, is, not. Not, this is there not. There's a no toxic, toxic patriarchy, patriarchy going on here. here. He
0: should not utter a word that would cast a shadow upon her heart. Mm-hmm. He should begin the work of reformation at home. He should cultivate affection and overcome the coarse, harsh, unfeeling, yeah. and ungenerous Generous. traits of his own disposition. That's right. That's right. You have not encouraged respect for your wife yourself
1: See, so he does have something to say about whether she can respect him or not. If you want her to respect you, you don't have direct control of it, but start by making yourself a fully respectable person.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. easy to respect a person that is respectable. That's, it's,
1: it comes fairly naturally. And it's
0: impossible to respect somebody yeah. that's demanding your respect. Just a word on that. One of the great fallacies or misunderstandings about the nature of leadership is that there's really two schools of thought on leadership. You can lead positionally. Or you can lead by influence. Mm. If you lead by position, you almost never gain loyalty. Mm. But if you lead by influence, you can gain loyalty and the admiration of people that you're trying to lead. Mm-hmm. And so if a husband or a father says, I'm the husband, I'm the father, well, already. Leading positionally. That's leading positionally. He's and shooting
1: himself in the foot.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You cannot generate the kind and of loyalty, love, and admiration that you're hoping for with that posture.
1: Isn't that exactly what the whole great controversy is about and why it is taking so long? Because it's the long, yes. slow route to actually winning hearts to trust you instead of the positional route where you're forcing people into submission.
0: Remember, we yeah. talked in our last session about how God is br- years. bringing the the people universe along with, with his yeah. with its sympathies oh, and its approval.
1: And I don't have that kind of patience. I need the Holy Spirit to give that to me. Well, we all do. Yeah. Uh,
0: You have not encouraged respect for your wife yourself, nor educated your children to respect her judgment. You have not made her your equal, but have rather taken the reins of government and control into your own hands and held them with a firm grasp. You have not an affectionate, sympathetic disposition. These traits of character you need to cultivate if you want to be an overcomer and if you want the blessing of God in your family.
1: I love that it's said to really basically back the wife. Husbands, get your children to respect the wife's judgment. Don't question her judgment over and over again in front of the kids. Mm -hmm. And don't continually do these little microaggressions for either parent on the other parent that really kind of say that that parent is not honorable or trustworthy or respectable because that parent is better, has better judgment than the kid does. And no matter how low they plot on the you know qualification spectrum, they're still doing a, a good job of raising those kids. So build them up and help them and bring them along, like David said, but don't...
0: One of the features that yeah. when Violet and I find that we disagree, especially when the children were younger, about some point of perhaps discipline or... You go or, somewhere else and talk. Yeah, well, yeah, we would just be very purposeful about not undercutting yeah. what the other person was saying in front of the children, because that doesn't help her, it doesn't help me, yeah. and it doesn't help the kids. Yeah. It's just super non productive and the only kind of person that would ins- consistently and insistently do that would be somebody that doesn't care about the actual effectual change in the home that's right he or she but more often he just wants, just to, wants to assert his position right. by virtue of the fact that he occupies that
1: position that's right that's right so um okay.
0: okay last one not? here if the husband is tyrannical exacting critical of the actions of his wife he cannot hold her to res- he cannot hold her respect and affection and the marriage relation will become odious to her. Good word. Isn't that amazing? She will not love her husband because he does not try to
1: make himself
0: lovable. lovable.
1: And it doesn't put the onus on her for that.
0: Am I done?
1: Yeah, okay. you're done. So that was great. That so, was
0: a that was a great little exercise to yeah. show and man, Ellen White was a feminist. She was a right feminist by feminist. especially writing in the times that she was writing it. Incredible. But to me, far more important than being, you know, on the sort of Pointing end of the spear with regards to feminism, is that she's being true to the text of Scripture. That's right.
1: That's right.
0: Right? Like, this is clearly what's being described yeah. in all of the passages that we read there in the New That's Testament right. yeah. and in the lens paradigmatic passages of Genesis 1, 2, and 3.
1: Okay, so now that we've done that little exercise, let's go back to Genesis 3.16, and we will use this as our interpret... We'll take this down uh, apart, and then we'll use it as the interpretive lens for the other... Passages. So, you're very James, organized sixteen. Like I'm this. so organized. You're ready today. to go. It's, yeah, I'm, I thought. Hard so, enough. I'll read it
0: again just to remind ourselves of where we've come from. Yeah. To the woman, he said, "I will greatly." This. Let me just say this as we read it. There's four basic four lines or four ideas in this. There's three. Oh, really? You think three? What? I think four. Oh, this is pain funny. We just had that conversation.
1: Oh. What pain and toil and childbearing, desire toward husband and, and him ruling over.
0: So I would say I will greatly. I, number one, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. Yeah, you think. Number you think two, in your pain you should bring forth children. Okay. Which I suppose you're saying those are the same.
1: I think they're similar, and it's just okay, gotcha. it's, it's for emphasis. This is a really big issue. Gotcha. And is then
0: three, your yeah. desire will be for your husband, yeah. and he shall rule over you. See, I've always seen them as sort of like a uh, one A and B, and two A and B.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 Well, what's the difference then between um, sorrow in your conception and pain bringing forth children?
0: No, I think I think it's like classic Hebrew sort of parallelism. Okay. You say something and okay. then you okay. you emphasize, you recapitulate that okay. point with different language. And I think he does the same thing in the next part. Your desire okay. should be for your husband, okay. Okay. i.e., or let me further enhance that or explain yeah. that yeah. he will rule over rule you.
1: Over. Okay. All right. So go ahead and oh, you read that. Read it. Did you read it? Okay. So. Uh, Genesis 3.16 has been literally fulfilled, all right? So I want to read something to you from a book that changed my life. It's called Half the Sky. Oh, that's a great book. And to give you a little book. background. Nicholas Kristof. Nicholas Christoph and Cheryl Wudon were two New York Times columnists, and they had gotten married, and they did work together. And they're talking about why they wrote this book. The book had to do Half the Sky is an African proverb that says that women hold up half the sky. And so what they did was they went into the developing world and they looked at the lives of women and the things that they were suffering from and how to remedy it. And basically what they did is they gave women microloans and these women who were in very bad situations of being abused or whatever, um, were able to build their own businesses through these microloan programs. So my favorite story was one woman who was being beaten by her alcoholic husband every night, Mm. living a life of misery. They gave her a micro loan. She set up an embroidery company and started making little embroidery products. And the company expanded. She um, hired a couple of people and then it expanded more and mm-hmm. she had to get a building and she had enough money generated for the next step. And eventually she had such a great business, her husband came to work for her. So, <laughs> so they That's gave, a
0: great book, Half the it Sky. It is a very good book. And Read it's, that it's really book. Hardy. It's probably 10 years ago. Yeah, they it, was a while
1: ago. it was a while ago. It was a life changer for me because it helped me to see what's going on globally with women. Mm. It's, it's a, we're a little sheltered actually in the developing world. Very much so. There's been a lot more progress on women's rights in the developing world. And so, um, you know, it's kind of really sad what's happening. So they really gave us a view into that. So I'm reading straight from the introduction of the book. She says, this book is the outgrowth of our own journey of awakening as we worked together as journalists for the New York Times. The first milestone in that journey came in China. Cheryl is a Chinese-American who grew up in New York City, and Nicholas is an Oregonian who grew up on a sheep and cherry farm in Oregon. After we married, we moved to China, where seven months later we found ourselves standing on the edge of Tiananmen Square watching troops fire their automatic weapons at pro-democracy protesters. The massacre claimed between 400 and 800 lives and transfixed the world. I remember that. I'm sure that many of you remember. It was the human rights story of the year, and seemed just about the most shocking violation imaginable. But listen to what happens. Then the following year, we came across an obscure but meticulous demographic study that outlined a human rights violation that had claimed tens of thousands more lives. Mm -hmm. This study found that 39,000 baby girls die annually in China because parents don't give them the same medical care and attention that boys receive. And that is just in the first year of life. And they quote a Chinese family planning official that says, if a boy gets sick, the parents may send him to the hospital at once, but if a girl gets sick, they'll say, let's see what happens. Let's see how she is tomorrow. And then they go on. The result is that as many infant girls die unnecessarily every week in China as protesters died in the one incident at Tiananmen, those those Chinese girls never received a column inch of news coverage. So this is really the tragedy, not only the deaths of all those girls, but the fact that nobody's noticing what's mm-hmm. going on here. Yeah. And they say that they never received a column inch of news coverage. And these are journalists coming to this. We began to wonder if our journalistic priorities were skewed. Mm. And that's what led them to write this book. So let me give you some data that I learned from that book and other sources. And what I've done is I've taken, I've broken Genesis 316 into three things. And I'm just gonna give you stats. We can go with David's next time. No, I'm David's, ready, I'm ready, Okay. Go. So pain and toil and childbearing, which I think is repeated twice for emphasis. So childbearing deaths per 100,000 in 2020, 152. Childbearing deaths in Africa Africa per 100,000, 533. So in other words, many more childbearing deaths than there are in the developing world. This is very common, and they go into quite a lot of detail in the book about how women will develop a very common um, maternal problem or childbearing problem called a prolapsed uterus. And they will, um, they will not get treatment for it, even though the surgery is about two or three hundred bucks, so affordable. And they never get the surgery, and they end up bleeding to death because they can't, you know, their internal organs can't function. So I think that the childbearing in Genesis three sixteen though is a broad term, not only referring to the incredible pains of labor. And I know what that pain is because I had two babies with no anesthesia. And let me just tell you. Women have a higher pain threshold than men. Agreed. Because Men could never get through it. It's tough, but I think that it's a broader term than just the pain of childbearing and even the problems bound up in actually bearing children. The medical problems bound up in actually bearing children. So, um, sorry. No, you're fine. Okay, so let me give you just a few factoids here. Often, pubescent females experience lowered confidence over body image. So, as soon as estrogen comes into the system. There are a number of changes that come about in female psychology. And this is this reality is really developed in the book, Reviving Ophelia, which was also a, a life-changing book for me about teenage girls. It seems that what happens is as soon as there's estrogen in the picture, you know, girls are very confident That's true. before menses. And then once the estrogen starts to spike, they start developing self-worth issues, self-confidence issues. And we see that especially as pertains to body image. There are uh, is also premenstrual tension, cramps, mood changes that affect most women, and some PMS is so bad it has a diagnosis called PMDD or post um, post uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and it's so bad that the person literally has to be treated for severe depression mm. because of how low their mood goes as a result of their menses, their cycle. Monthly blood loss predisposes women to iron deficiency. Pregnancy itself can deplete women's mineral stores. I personally wonder if, uh, if um, postpartum depression is the result of some kind of change in the biology and particularly the brain chemistry of a woman because of the tremendous tax on her nutrient stores. I don't know of any data on that, but I'm open to it. Women can develop ovarian cysts, dendrometriosis, pelvic inflammatory disease, cervical cancer, prolapsed uterus and a host of other reproductive diseases mm. that men never, because they don't have right. that system in their body. I know you guys have your own stuff, but it's pretty simple, isn't it? Compared to yeah, that, exactly. it's extremely simple. A lot less parts, a lot less moving parts. Even healthy children leave marks on women's bodies, including, or even healthy childbirth, including but not limited to visible stretch marks, changes in bowels, changes in the vagina, the breast, fat distribution, and um, a general acquisition of elephant skin on your stomach. Uh, Women are the primary caregivers of children, even though more and more of them are the primary breadwinners. Also, we have found that, you know, women are going back into the workforce in large numbers, but they still do the majority of the housework because Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. I think it's partly because women are nesters and we just can't like guys would be more content living in a, you know, a barracks kind of thing. and Women just want to make it a home. And Mm -hmm. so they end up doing the majority of the housework. For instance, even though women are the sole breadwinners in 4 out of 10 households, they still do the majority of the housework. The fact is that women- Wow, that's 40%. That's high. that's high. Higher than I would have guessed. Really? I thought it
0: would be maybe 30%. Yeah,
1: yeah. Hmm. It probably depends which study you look at. Sure. The fact that women bear and care for children reduces investment in their careers and makes them less desirable in many employers' eyes. But it's interesting because after women bear children, there are actually, from what I understand, some improvements to the cognitive abilities- that they're more fit for leadership in some ways. So second life for women that have raised and launched children. Uh, that opportunity that is really today. there. Yeah, absolutely. The multitasking, please. Uh, women aren't only more likely to sacrifice career to care for children, but they're more likely to care for aging parents as well. So I think the pain and toil childbearing includes you know, all the weak people and the broken people and the breaking down people in the family system—they tend to fall to yeah. the lot of the woman to care for them. I just
0: recently read a book uh, by a fellow named Atul Gawande, and he wrote a book called *Being Mortal*. He's an incredible writer, and uh, it's basically a book on aging and dying. Fascinating book—you mm-hmm. would really love it. Mm-hmm. And he's a very—he's kind of in the Malcolm Gladwell oh, style yeah. vein of writing, but—but. Yeah. But this particular book has to do is he's a physician. I think he's a yeah. surgeon, yeah. Harvard graduate, very clever, yeah. excellent writer. Anyway, in the book he says that one of the best predictors for late life happiness and freedom is having a daughter. Really? Absolutely.
1: Because they take care of you. Because
0: they take care of you. <laughs> exactly. So I'm I'm out of luck and
1: you're out of luck you're and doing, I'm in really good shape. Because I got shape. two daughters. Oh, I didn't think of that. That's yeah? really that's really positive. well that's
0: consistent with what you just read there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so look. let's look at the second of the three points in Genesis 3.16. Uh, so your, your point desired, there was that this, no.
0: I will multiply your sorrow and your conception, and your yeah. in pain you will bring forth children. That has been borne out historically, evidentially, you know, literally billions of um, women.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Have had that experience. And
1: not all of these things are necessary. I mean, I don't think that they're provident no. or right. I think there's a lot of reasons. There's failures in the lives of husbands and other people in the family sure. system that set women up for this, but it's still hasn't. But the truth
0: it's, is, is even if everything mm-hmm. goes swimmingly well for a mm-hmm. woman, yeah, yeah. like she does not have, she has regular uh, cycles, yeah. and she doesn't have major cramps, and she gives yeah. vaginal birth as opposed yeah. to cesarean. cesarean, it's still, it's still tough. S- infinitely more Difficult and complicated than any contribution or problem that a man has with regards to childbirth. In
1: some regards, yes. And then
0: you have all these moving parts that yeah. bring about significant additional complications. complications. yeah. Yeah, fair point.
1: Okay, so the second point of the three points that I wanted to bring out is desire toward husband. What does that mean? That your word desire, desire shall be for your husband. Yeah, and that word desire, and I can't remember what the what the Hebrew word is, but it's only in Scripture three times. Yeah, and the second time is in chapter four, talking about Cain, and and it's using that's talking about sin metaphorically, and it's saying it has desired to what does it say uh, to have uh, you or sin, to conquer you? Sin
0: uh, lays at the door, and his yeah. desire is for you. For you, yeah. We must rule over it. Yeah.
1: And then the other place where you find that, that desire is in the book Song of, Solomon, Song of Solomon, talking about the husband's desire for the wife, which to me hints at a reversal of Genesis 3.16. I'm kind of giving away my punchline here a little early, but it's the same word, except it's coming from the husband this time. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So the desire is in the wife's heart toward the husband, and there is the um, husband toward the wife. Now, one of the most common uh, interpretations of that desire is that the woman desires to control the husband. I don't buy that interpretation. I don't think that's what's being said here, because Hmm. you've got the two other places where you find the word and it doesn't really mean that in those contexts certainly not so i think that that interpretation personally came about as a result of trying to shoot down feminism actually is what i believe but at any rate um so let's talk about this whole concept of uh, men women wanting the approval of men because that's what i think it is so i'm putting some of my own opinion yeah, in yeah there, gotcha. i think that there's just a natural desire for the approval of the strong male figures in your life. And you can see where that would come about very naturally. a, he's strong, you know, and he's he's powerful, and, and a person with power in your immediate context is someone you're gonna to wanna to be on the right side of. So I, I personally believe that that is what that is talking about.
0: So can I just read mm-hmm. a, a sentence to that effect? In the Flame of Yahweh, Davidson says, uh, and there's a lengthy section here, yeah, obviously yeah. on Genesis 3.16, yeah. but it says, the wife's desire is as God intended a desire to become one flesh with her husband. Mm-hmm. So he sees it primarily as
1: sexual desire.
0: Well, not no not just no. that, but just intimacy. Intimacy, okay. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh certainly not only sexual desire, but that that, that desire to be one connected. with. And you think yeah, about it today, that's true. we yeah. we live in a culture now with mm-hmm. with apps like you know Tinder, mm-hmm. where men will hook up with literally hundreds, Strangers. hundreds and hundreds of women. Yeah, and men can do that. Not all men, but you know, hard-hearted, rebellious men can do that with an ease. That's
1: right. But a
0: woman does not. That doesn't have not easy. easy for her to match. Yeah,
1: there has to be a. We're talking
0: about happiness. unconverted, you know, non-Christian people here, but yeah. they just cannot match no. the male sexual libido because a woman wants. I mean, what's the sort of stereotypical thing? Well, she wants commitment. Yeah, that's right. She want, and then what do the men want? They want, you know, no strings attached, right. friends that's with right. benefits. That's and right. so the idea here is that the woman desires to connect. She wants to nest. She yeah. wants to become one flesh. She wants to bear children. I mean, I know that's a little old fashioned, but there are still a disproportionate, a, a very high—that's a better way to say it—a very high percentage You're of not women saying
1: all men are want that
0: to way. be. Well, I'm saying want to be moms. That's right. That's right.
1: I mean, and
0: th- and that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. That Since when is being impulse. a mother? Yeah anything other than the highest calling That's on right. God's green That's earth. Right.
1: That's right, very good. Okay, keep going. All right, so the, the I want to um, identify something called the male preference phenomena. And this is an interesting thing, but it, it seems to me that uh, men are generally seen as more capable than women, even if women have equal capability. Mm-hmm. And this was proven in some research that was done by a guy named Goldberg, um, and it's published back in 2004. So this is what they did. They took an essay, and it was the same essay, and they gave it to 300 people, 150 men, 150 women, and they signed the essay either with a man's name or a woman's name or initials, which showed that it could go it either ambiguous, way. ambiguous, yeah. And both men and women, it was the same essay, and both men and women um, evaluated the essay, a better essay, if it was signed by a man. Um, that's what you call male preference system um, phenomena. So... You know, feminists don't like that because they want to believe that a woman can be president, that she can acquire the love and adoration and and admiration of the population. But I think it's true. I've experienced it in my own life that you can be equal to a man in a certain regard and still be seen as less capable Mm -hmm. just by virtue of the fact that you're a woman. We tend to see women as warm and men as capable. It's a little bit of a tendency. Then there's some deeper research that evaluates three things in male versus female over the span of time it evaluates um, likability perceived influence and perceived power or i'm sorry perceived influence and perceived competence
0: okay competence the
1: most likable demographic is a young female that is the demographic that, it, with the age the young age and female gender that is the most likable of all the different variations on those two themes. But women quickly lose that because they quickly age out of being young. And then men grow in perceived influence and perceived competence. Mm. So what that does to me as a woman is it says, wow, I was really likable. I had strong social capital back then when I was young and, and had you know sex appeal or was pretty or whatever. But then with time, I age out of that social capital and men keep growing. And if you look at box office earnings for movies, what you're going to see is the women are going to go up to about here. And then at about 30, early 30s, they're going to start going down in box office earnings. But men are going to keep going up. The George
0: Clooney's and the, so he, Cloonies and the yeah, Tom Hanks and they, the Denzel Washingtons the of the world. And the gray
1: hair and there was Silver Fox. And he looks distinguished, but she looks like a hag. And, you know, that whole thing. So let me just read something. Even
0: though I think my wife at 46 is she's, more beautiful today than the day I married her. And I'm not, I'm not just I know, I know, saying know. that as like a yeah. truism. I, yeah. I look at her and I think she's so I told Violetta she was beautiful before she had children, and motherhood looks so good on Mm -hmm. her. She is so beautiful to me, and I I tell her that every day.
1: David, you have a very generous, I think when you look at people, you see character as well as their physical Mm. traits. What you're seeing in media is this very sort of um, naturalistic, like very very physical estimation of what's beautiful and what's not. But when you estimate someone's beauty, I've seen this consistently in you, it's like, you you factor in the character, and that's a good thing. Mm. Okay, so the, I want to look at the third clause, and that is he will rule over you. And let's look at how that has apparently played out in human existence. One in three women in the world are beaten, raped, or coerced into sex.
0: One in three. One
1: in three women in the world. And you could find that stat, you know, pretty consistently in research. Women are disadvantaged educationally and politically. Uh, Women are the primary victims of sex trade, domestic violence, rape, sexual abuse, and poverty. So we can see that men are, because most of that damage Mm -hmm. and control, you might say, rape is a form of control. Of course it is. Sex trafficking is control. Being at an, an advantage educationally and then not lifting women up to your level and to the stature that they could attain is a form of control and dominance. So all of that is the result of what we would call toxic patriarchy or toxic Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. masculinity, okay? So I wanna go back to Genesis 3.16 and ask the question, could all these consequences come from one small sin? Would God really let all of that, we don't believe in infinite consequences for limited sins. I mean, that's the basis of our belief in in, uh, annihilation. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We don't believe that people are punished for eternity for the sins of one lifetime. And so I, I object to that thought that this is just God saying, uh, look, this is what's going to happen as a result of you partaking of this fruit and then leading your husband along with you. There's going to be just this massive suffering in womankind from here until yeah. the end of time. It yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. seems extreme to me. Gotcha. So I would like to say that I don't think that that is what God had in mind when he said what he said in Genesis 3.16. I think that's too extreme. That What I just read, those stats I just read, have the mark of Satan on them. Of
0: course they do. That is
1: how Satan works. Mm -hmm. He's cruel and he tortures and he's unfair and unjust. What God does when he issues a judgment is he actually is very fair and just, but he also- And he he tempers it with grace. And he tempers it with grace and mercy. And he also brings good out of even even the curses that he lays on people, the punishment. Because we can see in scripture that God punishes believers, his children, for their good. So Correct. he's trying to bring something good. Any parent
0: understands this intuitively.
1: That's right. That's right. And so there's a conversation about Genesis 3.16 that goes like this. It says, is it prescriptive or, or descriptive? descriptive? And some people have come to, well, it's just Unpack that just a little bit. Okay, so, Let me unpack okay, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so the idea here is that, is that God is either saying, this is what's going to happen right? As a consequence of the fall, as a consequence of I your can't rebellion. not anything
1: about it. He's just, just describing,
0: that's descriptive, yeah. describing what's going to be prescriptive is God saying, as a result of your transgression and rebellion and disloyalty, this is what I'm imposing on you. This yeah. is a punishment. This is a judgment. That's right. And these two sort of competing ways of viewing Genesis 3.16 is either as God merely describing the results and effects of the transgression or prescribing a punishment as a result of the disloyalty and transgression.
1: Right. And so what I'm saying is, I think it's both. Jen, I think, I'm out of
0: water, so I'm going to go fill up my water. Okay. You just keep doing your thing. So
1: I think it's both. I think that God is actually um, prescribing something because we can see it's a judgment context in which this is happening. It's a very methodical uh, series of events in Scripture. He starts with the serpent, then he goes to Eve, and they're kind of in order of culpability, and there's just a tone to it. It is very much like a courtroom setting. And I'm going to read from Richard Davidson, The Flame of Yahweh. And he says that the the uh, prescript I'm sorry, the descriptive view is unsatisfactory despite its popularity because it fails to take seriously the judgment slash punishment context of the passage. And again, that's this book. And if you ever want to use that book, you can use it, but don't use it as a clobber text. Um, the,
0: it's an excellent book. Yes,
1: it's a very good book. So it's unsatisfactory despite its popularity because it fails to take seriously the judgment-punishment context of the passage. The nature of this judgment-punishment is indicated by the text, and it comes in a legal trial setting. And I agree with him. God is prescribing something here, but he's not prescribing what I just described. After I talked about... The All of the happens. consequences oh, no. of the
0: fall. The compounding, it, it
1: be, it increasing
0: be consequences of the fall. He's, it, it that's would, not the punishment.
1: It wouldn't have been in harmony with God's character Certainly. to have that severe of a punishment for the sins of one event in the garden. So what's going on is I think God is prescribing it in the context of marriage. What page number? Marriage. Page 77. 77.
0: Somebody was asking that's about right. the page yeah. number. Reiner, so page 77.
1: Yeah. So he's, he's, he's describing it in terms of what happens when it gets into the hands of the enemy. So what happens is God issues a curse. It becomes a blessing because that's how God is. Amen. And then the devil takes it and runs with it. And it turns back into a curse. And then he casts aspersions upon God and says, see, God said this would happen to you. But it's so extreme. It makes God look awful. gives him a black eye. But God even takes that curse and turns it back into a blessing because that's what God does. But I think what we see reflected in all of those facts I just talked about is the mark of Satan and his cruelty and not what God had in mind. So I think that Genesis 3.16 does describe what happens to women outside of a context of a godly servant leader led marriage.
0: Agree, but it also is God prescribing a judgment for their disobedience. And the the judgment, and I don't wanna get too deep on this because we'll have lots of opportunities to talk about this in OT with DA, but God's judgments are always germane to the violation itself. Yeah, It's not artificial, it's not contrived and sort of imported yeah. from outside. We'll have lots of opportunities to talk about the nature of God's judgment in OT with D. We don't have to solve all those problems right yeah. here.
1: Yeah. So um, God ordained, I believe, men to protect women, particularly in a post-fall context. There's even some evidence in the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, she uses the word protect even before the fall. Before the fall. But it's definitely true after the fall that, that God calls men, because they're the stronger, in the family system, they have greater physical strength and greater social strength, greater financial strength, greater strength and power in mm-hmm. a number of different arenas, especially if we're talking about globally. And God calls men mm. to use that greater strength as a device of protection, but rather than a
0: device of manipulation and, and exploitation control. and control, which is what unconverted and unfaithful men have done. That's, That's the truth. Done.
1: That's right. So most of the harm done to women is done by men. Who
0: protect? But but
1: who are the people that protect women?
0: Men, women. It's usually men.
1: That's what I was saying. So, okay, gotcha. so men are the problem, but men are also the solution. They're part of the solution. So That's God right. is asking men to step into a servant leadership role. Whenever you have greater power, and let's just face it, guys, whether it's ordained or not, men have greater power than women. You know, they just do in this world, and so that puts you in a position where you can be a servant leader or an autocrat. You really can have I can choices. I read to that effect, please?
0: So this is also from Flame of Yahweh. This is mm-hmm. one of the things that really popped out at me. This is page seventy five. And Davidson is writing about that phrase, he will rule over you. Okay, good. And the word the word rule there, he says, is a word that that has, as a part of its semantic portfolio, servant leadership. Really? Yeah, yeah. so let me read you this. Really? Yeah, let me read it to you. It's right there in the it's word? It's right there in the word. The husband's servant leadership in the home, even though it grows out of the results of sin, may be regarded as a divine blessing in preserving the harmony and union of that relationship, as it is in, as it is implied in the semantic range of masal. That's the word. This is to be a servant leadership of protection, care, and love. In wow. the modern idiom, the husband is to lovingly, quote, take care of his wife.
1: That's so, so, so
0: the word itself contains, it's not rulership. In fact, check this out. It's actually a different word than in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where it mm-hmm. says, it's desire for you, you know, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Mm-hmm. Different word.
1: Different word. Oh, different wow, word. Wow.
0: This word here is the, the mm-hmm. ruling over that has, as a part of its semantic portfolio, the ruling of mm-hmm. servant leadership. And lo and behold, when Jesus shows yeah. up, how does he conduct himself? Mm-hmm. He is the husband. Right? When we come down to Revelation 21 and 22, yeah, yeah. all of us, males and females, are the bride of Christ. That's right. That's right. How does the husband present himself he's in that? Leader. He's yeah. a servant leader. He's a exactly. servant leader. Exactly.
1: Beautiful. So, so the nature of servant leadership is in direct contrast to what you call positional leadership. And I call it power under leadership because yes. what servant leadership yes. does is it lifts the person to their highest possible station. So in a work context, say you're in a company, you have a servant leader who leads by influence. He's going to lift the people as high as he can lift them, even if they surpass him. Correct. That's the nature of servant leadership. That's John
0: the Baptist. And that's right. I must decrease. He must increase. John the Baptist was a leader. People followed him. Hordes of people came out, but he didn't allow people just to get right up to his level. Like, okay, no more. No one can go above me. I'm the
1: boss here. True
0: servant leadership. And what is, oh, I'm getting excited now. Yeah, I know. I have to. Think about Jesus when he says, (laughs) to him that
1: overcomes, I grant to sit with me on On my throne." throne. The so highest possible station. They will be kings and priests. That's right. And Woo! so so what does a servant leader husband do to a submitting wife? He lifts her up to the highest possible station, which if we look Hallelujah. at the pre edenic design, it is horizontal equality with a, a partnership in the home. And the best couples, the most the healthiest married couples that I know in my career of counseling and so forth and friendships that I've had. Are the people that function like partners? Correct. What happens when you make the post-fall accommodation that was put in place as a result of sin and as kind of an emergency measure the standard? Is that certain problems arise? And I'm saying like that's a parent-child configuration in the relationship. Correct. And so when you I've seen marriages like that, and it can go either way. The wife can be the dominant one. Yeah, I've
0: seen it both ways. But what
1: happens, for example, is the romantic element is lost because people aren't generally attracted to their parents and their children. So some really devastating things happen if you stay stuck in the post-fall mode. God wants servant leadership, and he wants that elevating process. Now, there's a school of thought that says... Can
0: I say something about that real quick? Will you remember that? There's a school of thought. Something I just want to say very quickly. Mm -hmm. Part of what makes, for example, my wife sexually attractive to me and intimately attractive to me is that she is a formidable figure. Yeah. She's There's she's power there. she's she's a force to be reckoned with.
1: She's a force of and, nature, and
0: and she's not subordinate to me. She's not a childlike. I mean, that that how could that be attractive? Unless you were into control and you were into abuse. No part of and then that
1: does. be... But there is such a thing as pedophilia.
0: Pedophilia, but part of a healthy sexual dynamic in a relationship is that both. You members, are. they view the other person as a formidable, as an equal. Okay. Ontological, spiritual, social, sexual, equal.
1: equal. Yeah, and there's so a anyway, lot of power. To say yeah, that, that person is a power figure in your life. That's right. So uh, the, the thing I was going to say is, is somewhat of a popular idea in, in some circles is the idea that, and particularly in evangelical circles that are very focused on patriarchy and and tend to pull those submission texts out a lot and flash them around. Those circles believe that God designed women to be in subjugation to men, so it was a pre-fall situation, Mm. and so there's something innately right about women submitting to men. They don't. To me, it's obvious from Scripture. God says, "Because this happened, now I'm going to do this." It wasn't there before. If He says, "Now I'm going to do this," so, Mm. so, but they say it's there's some kind of innate virtue. Or design of God, God's signature on women being subjugated to men, and so then they promoted remaining in marriages. But I'm saying a host of problems come with that. And
0: too. just a word on that:
1: mm-hmm.
0: that the this is a giant book, and we've already mentioned it several times. <laughs> I don't know what this book costs—probably thirty or forty bucks. I mean, the, well, it's like that. it's like two trees yeah. to you know, maybe it's a hundred bucks. I don't know. But whatever this book costs,
1: it's worth every. It's bucks.
0: worth it just for the. Opening chapters on Genesis one, two, and three. That's right. Because he goes through all of the incredible pre-fall I mean, this arguments. This is
1: basically his his life. Work. This is his life
0: work. I mean, this is his what do they call that uh, anyway? Magnum opus. Magnum opus that's yeah. right. So, so I was looking for the word seminal. This is his yeah. seminal work. So, anyway, my point was the the book is worth the price of admission just in those opening so chapters on Genesis one, two, and three. So good. And he shows how. And can I just read a statement from Ellen White sure. to this effect? Sure. So I'm reading now from Patriarchs and Prophets. This is the creation chapter. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite statements in the whole of Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, God himself gave Adam a companion. This is page 48 of the Types and Symbols, 46 of the original pagination. God himself gave Adam a companion. He provided a helper comparable to him, Mm. a helper corresponding to him, one who was fitted to be his companion. Mm and who could be one with him in love and in sympathy beautiful eve was created from a rib, rib taken from, from the side of adam, adam mm-hmm. signifying that she was not to control him as the head mm-hmm. nor to be trampled under his feet as an inferior That's but true. to stand by his
1: side as an equal
0: Whoa. to be loved and protected by that him that was the
1: original design
0: a part of man bone of his bone flesh of his flesh she was his second self showing the close union and the affectionate attachment that should exist in this relation.
1: Amen, that's so beautiful. It, it's
0: it's, it's so that. beautiful, it's so poetic, it's so awesome. And Jen-
1: And so it's servant leadership to lift back up and strive again for that Edenic ideal.
0: And that's your punchline.
1: No, not totally, because I got more.
0: Okay, keep going.
1: <laughs> no, I want to say this too. How okay. many
0: more minutes are we, 15 minutes? Know. Yeah. 20, okay, yeah. 15 minutes, because okay. we've been going about 15. an hour and 15 Yeah.
1: So um, I have a lot to say about this. Um, One thing I want to say to you, David, is that I think that this thing plays out in marriages primarily, but also in the church. The image of God is male and female. So in order to convey God's character to the world, we have to have a blend of male and Agreed. female. That certainly happens within marriage. Agreed. But it also should happen in the church. And when you have an entirely male-dominated leadership, no, it's, 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 it's not doing as good of a job. It's not about. the
0: way forward. In, in Christianity is about 56%. Christians are about 56% female, 55% female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Seventh-day Adventism, majority, particularly, yeah. it's actually closer to 60%. Yeah. So it's actually not exactly a recipe for success to say, We're going to pre-screen a full 60% of our constituents out of leadership positions? It doesn't make sense. sense. And and fortunately, there's no biblical requirement. But I want to say something. There's no biblical requirement for that. I want to say something to me that's very important about this sort of larger narrative here. One of the things that Davidson points out is that unlike the ancient Near Eastern traditions of the creation of mankind... In the Hebrew text, if you compare Genesis chapter two, verse seven and Genesis chapter two, verses 21 and 22, the exact same number of Hebrew words is used to describe the creation of man and to describe the creation of woman, 16 16 Hebrew words that create a little pericope. Mm -hmm. And Davidson makes the point that this is totally unlike, there's no analog for this. This is unique in ancient Near Eastern literature and religion. And it shows you mean
1: the equality, of the equality yeah,
0: to, the to spend yeah. the equal amounts of time describing yeah. the creation of males and the creation of females, and then to say that both male and female uniquely bear the image of God. It's mm-hmm. it's it's unlike.
1: And you brought out something about the verb that is used for the creation of man versus the creation of yes. woman, okay. and how the word is basically our. Um, just a brief word on that so yeah. when it
0: says that god made man it's a generic word just means formed or crafted mm-hmm. but yeah. when it says that god made the woman the word is like an architectural term it literally means to build mm-hmm. he architected the woman
1: that's right
0: and uh davidson says that this is a an allusion to two things number one the aesthetic beauty of the woman compared to the man and yeah. i agree with that yeah and number two he says it's a uh, 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 strong re- uh, a strong point that the whole creation narrative is moving from chaos to completion, to
1: completion. and
0: and, and the, the last thing that's made. Think about that. Ass. It goes from yeah. from you know without yes, void yeah. or without uh, form and yeah. void and darkness on the face of yes. the deep, and then it moves consecutively, sequentially through the six days of creation, and arrives at completion and wholeness at the end. What's the last thing that's created? That's right. In the six days of creation, in the material creation. world, it's a woman. <laughs> so there's no way in the flow of the narrative to make a woman subordinate to yeah. man in the creation oh. account because everything's moving. That's right. And then the use of the verb formed for man yeah. versus architected, Architect. built for what woman. What sounds
1: more complicated and sophisticated? Exactly.
0: It's making right. the point right. that women are yeah. different yet yeah. equal, yeah. ontologically equal, yeah, Not functionally identical. That's right. But ontologically
1: equal. Yeah, that's so powerful. So um I wanted to make the point that that this male, this blend of male and female comes through in the church as well. And there are some practical reasons why men sort of dominate the scene. Now women have babies and they stay home with their babies. And mm. there's a number of in history, and you know, we're of working course. within a context of a, a backstory so men are in dominance but servant leader men in the context of the church will do that very thing they will lift women up to their highest possible station Amen. and i want to say this to you david because i feel like since i've known you
0: mm.
1: you have been like that you mm. know when i first met you is many years ago and you were kind of the new little hotshot evangelist and you know, I was kind of an older sister in the in the body. Yeah, and, very much so. And I had run up against and, and experienced a lot of wounds of, you know, male dominance in my church and being invalidated because what I felt was because of my sex. I couldn't prove it. But I could just feel it sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of power, you it. there weren't a lot of powerful men that were willing to get behind me and willing to believe in my talents and willing to talk to me like I had an intellect. Mm. And and I felt that with you and with Nathan from the beginning. And yeah, then you asked amen. me to write your book. And I'm sitting here because you believe in me intellectually and you believe in my capability. And I just want to affirm you for that because I think that if there are more servant leaders that that find ways to give women, share their platform, their advantages with women Amen. in the church, we're going to all be a lot better off and the guys will get more time off and that'll probably be good for them.
0: I love it. So I guess we can, we can... It's probably. never been even... I mean, I was raised until for a significant part of my... Not a huge part, but for a significant part of my life until my mom married my third father, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was kind of single momish yeah, stuff yeah. and the, the, the capability of women, the capacity of women, yeah. the value of women has never even been, been in question. it's not in question for yeah. me. And yeah. when I saw you, I wasn't like, Oh, here's a woman. Let me lift her up. I was like, here's an incredible person. Mm-hmm. And I just want mm-hmm. to know her better. And I, I loved your music. I loved your ministry. I mm-hmm. loved your writing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it was no, you know, particular, magnanimity on my part. I just thought you were cool. I just thought you were really cool.
1: But you'd be amazed how how many impediments there are to that happening. Well, one of them is you men are afraid of being too close to women because they're trying to be reserved, so to speak, and they're afraid of bad things happening. But I think that gets overplayed. I agree. You know, people are totally, you know, really committed to their marriages and they're, you know, on the up and up with everything and they're not hiding anything in their lives. There's no reason they can't have robust and close relationships across gender. And the so. truth
0: is you're a you're a great friend of Violetta and Ives. Yeah, like yeah. you're you're yeah. not just my friend, you're our friend. You're a family, friend. Friend. You're a family right. friend. My
1: kids That's love
0: powerful. you. This is like a little yeah. little praise session. I know, little affirmation I to end session. Something
1: that, you know, that pertains and is relevant to this situation Amen. right here. So I'm not going to do the rest because we're kind of over, should I?
0: i mean just just do the 10 people are still we still have 400 people do the do the 10 minutes shrink it all down so
1: let's talk about the language of love and respect why does the bible use that language in pertaining to men's the way they address women and the way that women address men why do we see the difference you know one of the things that kind of aggravates me is books are written to push back against people that have written about submission passages and love and respect passages and people write these books you know attacking the authors I want to see those very same people wrestle with the text itself because some of the problem is in scripture itself. You know, that's why we're addressing this. It's kind of a problematic issue. Some of the problem. Yeah, problem, quote unquote, but the difficulty can be in scripture itself. And so I want to ask the question, honestly, why does the Bible tend to use respect language for women to their husbands and love language or prescribe love language from the husband to the wife? So here's what I want to say about that is that we have two basic needs in relationships. We have a need for autonomy and a need for connection. And there are two basic fears connected to those two basic needs because we might lose one of those two things. The fear of engulfment, which is a loss of autonomy, my own individuality, my agency and, you know, ability to be a, make my own decisions. Yes. the, the That would be a fear of engulfment. That person's going to engulf me and I'm not going to be able to move. I'm not going to be able to make my own decisions. And that's a fear in close relationships, yeah, totally. right? And then the... Second fear is the fear of abandonment or the loss of connection in that relationship. Mm. So those are the two primary fears I see, particularly in close relationships. So just to give you a little background here before I get into my punchline, there are a few different attachment styles that have been studied in adult relationships. Oh, this is good. You shared so this let with me. me. T- yeah, I did. Pay attention so, to this. This is
0: really, really good. So
1: there are three basic attachment styles. The first one is secure, which is a healthy attachment. Everything's good. Then there are two kind of problematic attachment styles. One is avoidant, where the person is afraid to attach, because again, they're afraid of losing their autonomy. They're afraid right. of engulfment. Yeah. And then insecure attachment styles, where the person is clingy, they're afraid of losing the connection, right? So- Just go
0: down them one more time. Secure.
1: Okay. So secure is healthy. Yeah. And then avoidant is fear of loss of autonomy. You're afraid that, yeah. you know, being close to that person, I'm gonna lose my yeah, agency, yeah, yeah, yeah. lose my individuality. So I'm gonna avoid that person. And I'm gonna three avoid is that relationship. And insecure. the third one is insecure attachment style, which is fear of loss of connection. So clinginess, neediness, that type of thing. Yeah. So let me just ask a question and put it in the chat if you don't mind, guys, on Instagram. Um, whose attachment styles are overall more avoidant, would you think? Husband or wives? And don't you answer yet. Okay. But put in the chat and we just kind of want to look at it later. So the question is, whose attachment
0: attachment styles tend to be more more avoidant? avoidant,
1: uh, Husbands or wives? Husbands or wives. Okay. You keep
0: talking and I'll I'll monitor it.
1: Okay. And then I'm going to ask a second question. And that is whose attachment styles are overall more, are they answering? They are. Okay. Are overall more anxious? Husband or wife? Which of husband or wife? So I'm saying you?
0: husband, men, husband, husband,
1: okay.
0: husband. So okay. this is an answer to the first okay, question the first about question. avoidant. Husband okay. seems to be some, a unanimity here. Sylvia okay. says husband,
1: husband. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? Men, <laughs> Michelle says. It's husband. Right says right in the uh, Reiner,
0: my, my doctor says, uh, he knows. Oh now somebody says
1: wives. Okay. Husband. We
0: wouldn't expect well, wait a minute, total unanimity. Wait a
1: minute, because I started Yeah, I that's started true. The that could question. be. That's a so, great point. Whose a styles are overall more anxious, husband or a Which one do you think? I
0: would say put that in
1: the text now. I'm
0: not to to answer.
1: Okay, no. to am going to have a answer to a minute, Eric. Just a them to okay. for a second.
0: Okay. get a chance to get a chance to get a Wife. yeah get a chance to wives. More anxious.
1: Yeah. wives second question
0: anxious wife wives
1: i think it's obvious
0: wife of course of course samantha says wife of course i love it
1: and as a generality these are generalities guys of course of course this is not written in stone let's talk about the nature of generality for a moment because we have to because every time you mention something like this someone's going to say well in my marriage it's this way you know of course i didn't say it never could be different i said as a general thing you have you know the bell-shaped curves You know, most men are men overall are taller than women. The bell-shaped group, there's going to be an overlap right there. And a Venn diagram is going to be some overlap. So you're going to have that. There are going to be exceptions. That's the nature of generality. But I also want to talk about communication. When a person is in leadership, they're going to have to, at times, communicate efficiently. And they're going to lose some precision as a result of communicating efficiently. So he's giving household code or household counsel. And he says, wives, respect your husbands. Husband, love your wives. Are there going to be some marriages where he misses the target, and really the wife is the one that needs to be more loving, and the wife and the husband is the one that needs to be more respectful? Absolutely. Of course. But he's trying to hit as many targets as possible, and that's the nature of generality and the nature of leadership at times, and also the nature of efficient communication. So, um, so
0: it's a great point. Yeah.
1: So you're trying to get you hit as many targets as possible. So here's the bottom line: um, in order to encourage healthy marital bonds. Paul was giving wives a language that would pull avoidant husbands that were afraid of losing their autonomy toward the marriage. Mm. Respect language assures the other that I respect your autonomy. I will always see you as an individual. As an, in, You have agency. You have autonomy. I will always regard that and respect it. Mm. That's respect language. That's the nature of it. He was giving wives a language that uh, husbands a language to use to calm their anxious wives because love language assures the other of connection. I will not abandon you. I am with you. I am for you. I am for our relationship. I'm affirming our relationship.
0: I love this. And, you know,
1: I thought there was one really interesting illustration of this whole thing with David and I, and that is when he and I are communicating, when one of us has an issue with the other, you know, a small micro issue with the other. Um, will say something, and so with me, when I talk to him, it's always, are you listening? I'm always saying, David, are you listening? Because he can do like 20 things at once, and so I'm wondering if he's really listening. He's Most of the time is, is the weird thing, but that's David. But what he says to me is, let me finish. (laughs) So (laughs) You observe this about us? Yes, even in our... You really are a scientist. I am. So even in our relationship... (laughs) the playing out of the, the fear of engulfment she's going to keep talking and i'm not going to be able right to okay and then oh that's fair. my fear of losing that connection so it's i will okay, i will say and
0: uh, this is anecdotally yeah. but i will say in the context of our marriage violet violet yeah violet and i's marriage violeta never says something to me like hey david i just want to take a week off to go in the woods and just sort of you know, camp by myself and fish and sleep in the dirt. She never says, that. but I do say that, you know, for me, it's a value in our marriage and we've done it for years. We're not I mean, 99% of the time we're together, yeah. but sometimes I just need to go on a rock climbing trip with my two sons and Nathan, and we just go and we don't shower very much. We just climb like crazy. We don't eat. We don't, you know, we just you snack, eat. we eat, but we're not like eating Got carefully meals. prepared meals. Like Violet is always like, okay, so when are we eating today? What time are we eating? What time would you like to eat? And I'm like, ah, it'll, it'll work itself out. Yeah. And so she's learned to respect that about me. And that, again, that's not the normal way that our marriage functions. We spend 99% of our time together. But I've also learned that if Violetta says to me, hey, David, I, there's something I really need to talk to you about, or I need you to hear me out on this. Yeah. That can't be a time where I can be scatterbrained right. and all over the place. I have to say, oh, this is her, this is her bid for attention. And do you? Well, I try to. Right. I mean, I'm not that's perfect right. at it. You know
1: what my husband does? He says, this is a bid. Because that, that's John Gottman, uh, marriage yeah. expert. Yeah, bids for Last attention. Is that, you know, there that a lot of marriage interactions just bids for attention. You're just trying to check in with your partner and make sure they reciprocate. Correct. Doesn't take very much, takes a, a microsecond, but it helps fuel the relationship. So Michael, just say to me, Jen, this is a bid. Come outside and see the tomatoes, or whatever's happening. And
0: you know when he uses that language,
1: it it is funny how
0: marriages get their own sort of nomenclature and language. And you know, you should have those words that alert your spouse to the fact that hey, this is important. This isn't just one of those things. Yeah, this is a thing.
1: That's right. That's right. Is that it? You closed your computer. I'm done. I'm done.
0: Okay. We hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, that By the way, I saw Sylvia say it was about an hour and a half, or a little longer. I saw Sylvia say, and this is a great point, she said that Richard Davidson, the author of this book, that he encouraged his wife to go into theology. She's That's an incredible right. she's theologian, theologian in her own right. Yeah. His daughter, Rahel, and also went into, she's yeah. an outstanding theologian. Yeah. And then Sylvia said that uh, Richard has been instrumental in her, her own theological journey. Isn't
1: that something? You know, he, you know, actually, Sylvia, I approached him when I was at that stage in my life. This is kind of before I met David and started to do more um, speaking and stuff. I met uh, Richard Davidson at a camp meeting. I was singing and I went up to him and I said, "You know, I'd really like to study theology and I don't know where I'll end up, but I just really want to study theology." And he said to me, "He'd never met me once before and he said, "I'll do anything I can to help you." Wow. He said those words to me. Thank the Lord And it Jesus. just even that little thing just meant so much and was so He
0: believed in yeah. you and he, and he, he affirmed you. Me. Okay, well we hope that was a blessing to you. We spent uh, a lot of time we were all over the map we and I did hear somebody say, oh, you know, we need notes. Well,
1: I can send you notes. I'll send them to David and he can send whoa, them. Well,
0: no, don't. if no. you send them to me, that is a that's a black hole. No. That's a hard uh, stop. Maybe
1: I could post them somewhere. Well, if we, you
0: uh, the best thing to do would be to follow Jen on Instagram. That's right and then to send her a DM if you want these notes. If you want the
1: notes, and I'll I'll give you my email address. You'll get them,
0: but only on the condition that you continue to follow her and support her wonderful ministry. (laughs) Okay, Jen, this has been amazing. Thank you all for your time. We will be back in about three and a half hours. Um, Is that right? Yeah, we'll be back in three and a half hours for OT with DA, Day 7, Chapter 6, Seth and Enoch. So we've got to sign off now because I still have work I've got to do to get this all uploaded. And we will see you a little bit later, but we'll close
1: with prayer. I think I opened with prayer. You did.
0: And can you close for us, Jen?
1: Father in heaven, it really was a high point when we started talking about servant leadership and how that sacrificial heart that would do anything to lift another up is such, we see it in the cross. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who was equal with God, but thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Mm. but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even, even the, the death, death of, of the cross. cross wherefore god has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every mm. name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of mm. the father hallelujah we love you lord thank you for this study may it bless us those that heard and continued its ripple effect, as well as OT with DA, is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen.